love has done its part. Now let him reign in my life and my heart. If love has done its part. Now let him reign in my life and my heart. Welcome to Healing Hidden Wounds Radio, sponsored by Shadow of His Wings Ministry. We are glad you are listening today and hope you find words of healing, insight, and restoration. Shadow of His Wings Ministry was founded by Lee and Shay Preston and born out of God's vision for setting captives free. If you would like to support us in the work we do, please visit www.shadowofhiswingsministry.com to donate. Today on Healing Hidden Wounds, Lee is talking with Jonathan Darty, director of Be Broken Ministries. Let's listen in as Lee and Jonathan discuss the ins and outs of recovery from sexual brokenness. We're excited to have you with us here today. Uh, my name is Jonathan Darty, and I'm here with my friend Lee Preston. Hey, Lee. How's it going? Good. We are going to be diving into um, some interesting territory this week. Uh, this is our Healing Hidden Wounds segment, where we really try to make a concerted effort to help those who uh, are struggling with unwanted same-sex attraction. And so uh, this week, we're going to be looking at uh, homosexuality and idolatry. And so, Lee, I want you to kind of just maybe explain to us uh, what on earth you're talking about here when you talk about homosexuality and idolatry. Well, it's an interesting topic, Jonathan. I mean, it's not something we oftentimes think about, especially in in the relation to homosexual sin and the homosexual struggle. But um, idolatry in and of itself is kind of, uh, as we kind of know it, is looking at the graven image or looking at the the little idol, the the little statue, and worshiping it. But uh, what sometimes people don't understand is that idolatry can also be looking at a picture, or an image of a person that is considered perfect and worshiping it or wanting it so desperately that it becomes uh, an object of desire. Okay, so it doesn't always have to be some little brass symbol or, or something like that. And, and I mean, I think we've, for a lot of us, um, especially maybe those of us who've uh, been in the church for a while, we've, we've all heard maybe a, a sermon on idolatry, and a lot of times it's associated then with saying, okay, well, let's look at some of the modern-day idols. And, you know, the typical ones will come up, such as television, work, uh, these things that, like you said, there's not some little statue in the corner that we're bowing down to, but there is uh, an allegiance that's being given to whatever that thing or activity is. And so that, in a sense, is what idolatry is. It's, it's, it's placing something whether it is an actual item or whether it's an activity or even an idea, and saying, in essence, I'm going to bow my will and bow my life to that thing. Um, Is that kind of what you're saying? Yes, and not only bow my life, but put put the seeking of that thing above all else, the desire to have that thing or to worship that thing above everything else. Well, so then how does that apply to homosexuality or the struggle with same-sex attraction? How does, how does idolatry then infiltrate that sort of uh, mentality? Well, I think to answer that, I'd want to start with kind of the cycle of idolatry and homosexuality, which is kind of what I've been looking at. 
And that cycle usually starts with a lie, a lie that gets kind of embedded into that little boy's heart that says either I'm not, I'm not good enough in this area, I'm not uh, right in this area, there's something wrong with me in this area. Okay. And that can be, oh, it can be anything. It can be, uh, I've had folks tell me that, uh, um, you know, here's this little, you know, seven or eight-year-old little kid who is somehow called a sissy out on the playground. And so he begins to think, uh-oh, there's something wrong with me. Why do I get called sissy? It must be that I'm not like other boys. And that can be the lie. Or it can be that 10 or 11-year-old little boy who's in the PE, the locker room after PE, and he's changing, and he looks over to the kid next to him, and he sees that, you know, maybe his body's different, or his penis looks shorter, or looks longer, or he doesn't seem as developed, or something. Uh, and so then all of a sudden, he begins to think, oh, there's something wrong with me. Right. And, and you know, as you're saying that, I'm sitting here, and I'm thinking through... Uh, you know, being a dad and having kids of my own and then also remembering my own childhood. And I think, you know, one of the things I don't think we we acknowledge enough is that uh, all children are born with unique and various sensitivities. Um, I, you know, I just it blows my mind sometimes when I hear people talk as if when a child's born, they're just kind of all born as these identical people in terms of their sensitivity, in terms of just their personality makeup. And, and I, I have three kids and you know what? I, they're, they're all mine, but you know what? Every single one of them, each of them is completely unique and different. And so even then, even in our little tiny family, there's these, I can see the differences in the sensitivities that they have, where if I say something to one of them, it may, it may cause them to just crumble I say the very same thing to another one of them, and it's like water off a duck's back. And so kind of what you're talking about is this lie or these lies that can get uh, interjected into the small kid's heart. It's not that, that it's always going to happen with every single child. Because, again, those same sort of statements, like, for instance, on the, on the playground, there, that one person that gets called sissy, boy, they may really personalize it and really internalize it. And it becomes something that really starts to shape how they see themselves. And you got another another one that just turns around and punches the kid in the nose who says it. Right, right. <laughs> you know, so you got these different personalities. Sure. And I think, uh, I think you have to look at the recipe that goes along with that. Maybe it's just a one-time thing and he turns around and punches the kid in the nose and everybody says immediately, oh, wow, he's not a sissy. He's fighting for, right. for what, he, what he knows. But then you've got that other kid who maybe have been raised and mom's told him or dad's told him, you don't ever hit back and don't ever fight. And so he kind of gets called a sissy once and he just kind of ignores it and walks away. And then maybe guess what? He gets called sissy again because he didn't take up for that the first time. So, and they're kind of becomes a repetitive thing. And so that lie gets more and more told to him. And so it goes deeper and deeper into his heart. And then what, um, I mean, what, what starts to happen then when that, when those types of lies are ingested, when either those shaming sort of lies or, you know, whatever it might be, um, whether that kid starts, you know, comparing himself and finding that he, that he doesn't measure up to the, the other boys in his class or whatever in terms of whatever his perception is of what a boy should look like, not just physically, but just in terms of how he carries himself and all that. And then, 
you know, all the other shame that, that might come into his life, as those things are being dumped into his mind and into his heart, what happens in that concoction, so to speak, that then starts to move him towards this um, issue of idolatry or this issue of same-sex attraction or any of that? I mean, where does that stew begin to boil? Well, and I, you know, it's interesting. I think, you know, what we can say at this point is that 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 stew can be completely thrown out at some point at this stage if the expert on masculinity in the family, which is usually dad because he is the other masculine person in the family. Should be dad, right? Right, right. (laughs) If dad uh, can step up to that and son feels comfortable enough to come up and tell him the lie. Hey, dad, today somebody called me a sissy. What does that mean? If dad steps into that and says, hey, son, you're not a sissy. Let me tell you what that means. And sometimes boys do that and they're just making fun of you and you just don't let it bother you. Then that lie is dispelled. But if he's afraid to talk to dad or if he's not quite sure what that means and he doesn't know how dad will handle it or maybe he did catch himself looking around in the locker room earlier that day and he thought, man, my my body's different and it doesn't look the same as others. If he feels comfortable enough going to his dad, he can get something or a strong male role model, someone. He can get the truth. And the truth can be, hey, son, you know, everybody's different and you're probably going to see all different shapes and sizes and, and, you know, all different kinds of body types. Don't you worry about it. You're going to be okay. Then all of a sudden that goes away and he can walk away safe in his masculinity. If he doesn't do that, then the next step that usually happens is something that we also see in the Bible called envy. Well, now that I know I don't have it, you know what? I want it, and I want it. I want to see that I can ultimately be like them or to get it somehow. And so sometimes that envy, it's not necessarily born out of necessarily wanting something that's inappropriate. It's... it's um maybe wanting something that you feel incapable of having. Is that part of it? Exactly. Because you see, I mean, I think I think for a young boy to to want uh, masculinity is totally appropriate. But I think uh, when it's combined with this envy, especially with all the lies that are underneath that, he is already predetermined he can't have it. Exactly. And his, and his not having it, makes him feel all the less normal. Yeah. And really, is that's not a bad thing, to envy normalness. I mean, that's what we want, is to all be normal. Nobody likes to be that odd man out yeah, that's somehow different. Or... Right. And so really, all he's wanting is he's envying that normalcy that he thinks he sees in these other boys or in other men or this normalcy of not being the one called sissy or not being the only one that's picked last to play the football game on the football team. All of those things are normal, and he begins to envy being like those normal guys. Well, wouldn't you say that ultimately the culmination of all those lies, well, it does lead to this envy, but wouldn't you say that the most dangerous aspect of him him believing all those lies is that they bring him to a place where he believes he's incapable of being masculine, that he's incapable of actually kind of crossing over that line and and being normal or being what he sees in these other boys around him or maybe even his dad or whoever as being normal masculinity. Don't those lies ultimately culminate in him saying, I can't be that? Exactly. I can't be. I must not be. Uh, envy leads to adding more lies on top of the original lie, which then says... 
I must not be like other other boys. So if I'm not like other boys, then what am I really like? And if I'm not like other boys, then what what do I become? And then there's that whole discussion within his mind of what he becomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not like other boys because I don't have this particular body part, or my body part isn't specifically like what I've seen other boys. Uh, I had one young kid who, uh, he was 11 or 12, and he uh, he looked around the locker room one day and he realized, man, everybody, or at least the guys that he saw, all had hair under their arms. And he began to think, I'm different. Mm-hmm. So what did he do with that lie? He didn't feel comfortable talking to his dad, but he felt comfortable going home and looking online to see if every 11 or 12-year-old had hair under his arm. So he began looking that up. Well, then pictures started entering in. And when you put that kind of thing into the computer, what ended up happening is he started getting porn. And then he began realizing, wow. And then he began comparing himself not to 11 and 12-year-old boys, but to these grown men who were on online as porn. And he he couldn't win because there's no competing with an 11-year-old to a, a grown man. And, and the danger there is that, you know, I, I think... If we're to be honest with each other as men, we um, we do compare ourselves to one another. Even the even the the healthiest masculine men on the planet, there's somewhat of a comparison to each other. You know, I mean, in terms of, you know, do I think I could whip that guy out in that back alley? That you know, there's we all have those crazy thoughts that go through our heads. I think in this case, though, where where these individuals. Um, uh, differ, I think, in how they're making those comparisons is they're making those comparisons with uh, already seeing themselves as less than. And so when, when you know, healthy masculine men might be inside their minds comparing themselves with one another, they don't start out necessarily from the premise that I'm less right. valuable or that I'm less uh, as much a man as this other person is. I'm just kind of maybe measuring myself against them in terms of kind of where I measure up, but not in the sense that I'm coming into the equation saying there's no possibility that I that I am masculine or that I am a man in right. the truest sense of the word. Right. And 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 most men, I would suspect, who struggle, who who even begin to question, am I am I OK or can I compare myself and, and do I compete? They at least usually, at least at times, will have another male who is kind of their expert who they can go to and say, Mm -hmm. hey, do I compete? Can I compete? And if you got a good, strong role model, a dad there who can say, yeah, son, you can compete. Yeah, you can win. You can do it. Exactly. You're going to be okay. Then they walk away kind of feeling like, okay, yeah, I can compete. And in their eyes, they generally can win the next competition. Whether they're looking at someone or comparing themselves to some other boy, they end up winning something. But these boys generally don't have someone to go to, and then they end up not knowing. And so they can only go on the information they carry around in their own head, which is, I will never meet up. I will never be able to compete. So I'll just back out of the game. So then as these lies form in this this young boy's mind and then as it it turns into envy and comparison and and this uh this mentality that I'll never measure up but there's this seemingly insatiable thirst in me to measure up where does that how does then how does that lead into the idolatry aspect well what generally happens because we are men are generally visual visually based 
then they begin that process of that comparison stage. They start looking around. They start seeing, am I, am I not? Do I look like him? Can I ever be like him? Why does he look this way? Why do I not look that way? And it ends up usually leading into some sort of pornography, whether it's looking at those magazine articles, uh, I mean, those magazine ads where that perfect man is without his shirt on. And here again is this 12, 13-year-old, 15-year-old kid trying to compare himself to this adult male, but he sees then that he woefully falls short. And the more he looks, the more he feels less, and he feels more of his lessness. And then all of a sudden, it becomes more of a, well, if I can't have it, I can't even compete, then the the attraction begins because then it's like, well, if I can't have it, I can at least look at it, and I can long for it. And then the image becomes real because anytime you add masturbation or any kind of sexual activity to an image... It's like having sex with that image. It's like bringing that image into yourself. And it's called cannibalism. It's like I I take in those things that I see in that picture, and then somehow maybe I'm like him. Mm-hmm. Now, at what point, at what point does this process uh, become sexualized? Because kind of up to this point, some of what you've talked about in terms of the idea of these lies being introduced and the envy that that creates, and then this kid kind of longingly looking to these masculine figures for affirmation and and um, and this envy that I can, you know, although I can't be that, I can admire that. At what point then does it cross over into being sexualized? Because I can see that, I mean, I could see that a seven, eight, nine-year-old boy might have some of these feelings and might uh, have some of this envy and might have some of this idolizing of a father, of another, maybe some other boys in the class, without it necessarily having crossed over into those idolizations being sexualized. So what ultimately kind of flips that switch? I think on a spiritual realm, what ends up happening is, is the more they idolize that image, then there's there's an attraction that begins to want that. And then you add hormones and you add age to that as that boy ages and he begins to see less and less of himself in those images. Mm-hmm. But his body begins to feel more and more of the attraction to that. You see this sometimes, in my opinion, you see this with bodybuilders sometimes. And I'm not saying that every bodybuilder has an attraction to men. But I've I've worked with some folks who are bodybuilders who begin to almost have an idolatry and an attraction to their own body or to the other men working out in there because they begin to to want their body to be at the same size or the same you know muscles mm-hmm. uh, building that the other guys have and it's it's very much the same thing for this little boy except he knows he can't compete. So the only way he can draw that into himself is sexually, and he begins to be aroused by those images. Well, once once this idolatry is kind of full-blown, where then does it lead after that? I mean, is, is, is it kind of similar to the addiction cycle, which once maybe, um, maybe once something is acted out in terms of, you know, there's maybe the image out there, maybe there's this person that's being idolized, and then once maybe that line is crossed where there's some behavior that's been involved in that, does it then spiral back into 
the lies and the shame and the in, it kind of just starts all over again or most definitely because the minute masturbation enters the picture then there's going to be shame then because then it's like oh wow before i was just comparing to see if i look like these guys now it's not just comparing it's now i'm aroused by them and then here you've got this little boy who all of a sudden feels that arousal or gets an erection because he's looking at these pictures and then all of a sudden he's like man now i must really be gay or there must be really something wrong with me here and so then he begins to feel more arousal and then masturbation and more arousal and masturbation before he knows he's in that sexual addiction cycle where his object of arousal is this image that he's begun to idolize Mm-hmm. So then, in our last few minutes that we have here, uh, what what would we what would you want to say to somebody who um, is out there listening and kind of nodding their head and saying, you know, you're explaining some things that have been going on in me for a while. Uh, I realize we don't have a lot of you know young children that listen to our radio broadcast, but maybe there's maybe there's some parents listening that are seeing some of these patterns in their children, or maybe there's some guys that have been struggling for a long time and they're saying you're you're hitting a nerve with me in terms of the things that kind of laid the foundation for my current struggle. What sense of hope or what words would you say to them to help break this cycle of idolatry associated with their masculinity? Well, the amazing truth that really can help set this cycle into a place of freedom is realizing who we are in Christ. Now, that's an easy, you know, sugar-coated answer for somebody right now who's going, well, what the heck does that mean? Right. What that basically means is is beginning to at least try and understand or beginning to speak over yourselves or, or talking to someone and, le- and helping them or allowing them to speak over you those truths that are we're born with, that men are all created the same way with the same kind of masculinity as far as the plumbing and the, the specifics are concerned. Sure. Now, yes, every man has his differences. Everybody's created differently uh, in those details. But for the most part, we're all created the same. And, and because of the lie that came in, begin looking for that lie. What, is that, what was the lie that I began to believe? Well, I'm somehow different because I don't have this, whatever it was. And then began to kind of speak over, you know, God made me with this. It just at the time, it wasn't what I thought it should be, or it was something different than what I wanted. For fathers, I would offer to you to have those kinds of conversations with your sons. Whether you think you know he's got this struggle or not, help to affirm his masculinity no matter what. Because I'm going to tell you, every boy out there, and I'm speaking to all men, because whether it's heterosexual or homosexual strugglers, any man has at one point or the other been stuck in a in a locker room looking around going, what the heck, am I, am I okay, am I not okay, am I going to be able to meet up or not? And so fathers, are, are, it would be a great thing to be able to have that kind of a discussion with the son just to say, hey, no matter what you think, you're going to be able to, to match, you're going to be able to compete, you're going to be able to meet up. And that was that would be my encouragement. I mean, I immediately thought of dads when you were talking about where a lot of these lies come from, and and I'm thinking, you know, it's really important for us as dads to to be paying attention. It's very easy to get distracted as a dad, especially if you've got a high stress job or got any sort of work. You're gonna a good portion of your time is spent working, providing all those kind of things, and it's easy for maybe uh, your children. Uh, especially those those boys that might have um, a more sensitive personality to kind of get lost in that mix and say, 
well, you know what? He just likes his mom better and just and kind of abdicate that role of getting into his life and and uh, and really speaking those words of truth and hope to him. Because I think what a what that son needs to hear is there is hope for him to be a, a healthy, masculine young man and to grow into a healthy, masculine adult. And dads have a powerful role in being able to do that. They sure do. And and being willing, even though it may feel a little uncomfortable, and you may even as a father feel a little uncomfortable in your own masculinity, but to be able to sit down and have those conversations with your son, even though he may look at you like, you know, he'd rather go to the dentist and have a tooth pulled than to talk about it. Sure. He needs to hear some truth from you. Exactly. We are glad you joined us today, and we hope that God had a special word just for you. Remember that Healing Hidden Wounds and Shadow of His Wings Ministry are listener-supported, and all services are provided on a donation basis. If you heard something today that was especially important to you, we hope you will consider donating a gift. Please visit www.healinghiddenwounds.com to donate today. Now let it rain in my life and my heart Your love has done its part Now let it rain